0: So, uh, what were you watching this morning?
1: Well, a little of that, uh, beach soccer intercontinental cup. It's so intercontinental.
0: Hey, boy, good Lord. What the, what the hell is that? No, about? it's
1: like, you know, La is behind the thing. They're uh, one of the partners. It's, uh, in, uh, Dubai and they're playing beach soccer. It's sort of like indoor soccer, but without the boards. So the preckies of the sand of the future are playing today.
0: I mean, I I will say this. Anytime I've been on the beach in another country and people are playing soccer and you're like, oh, I'll go check that out. You realize that soccer is a hard sport to play and you add sand to it and it's just, uh, I, I can't believe the games are longer than like two minutes.
1: Well, get your beach soccer intercontinental cup on because it's good stuff. to Sound System FC. I'm Lawrence Scott. Bo Byerly along with us for the ride as we take you into so many storylines and Champions League play, Bo, at the top of things as Chelsea and Ajax, the most exciting 4-4 draw you'll see in, well, years to come. It was darn good.
0: It was. I mean, it was amazing. What's amazing is uh, Chelsea is, is actually an exciting team to watch and They're pretty damn good. I was on the fence about them. I thought they were too young. I didn't think Lampard could put it together so quickly. But, I mean, they are an exciting team to watch. Now, they were down 3-1 to Ajax. So let's, first of all, not sleep on Ajax. But let's not give Chelsea the trophy just yet for pulling out a draw.
1: Well, there's a tale of two halves here. And in the very beginning... Ajax just jumping all over them. Uh, the OG, if you will, Tammy Abraham off the jump with uh, a deflection that uh, Kepa the Keeper could not reangle himself for. And then the one that really hurt was uh, Aritza Balaga taking the ball off the face after it hit the post and then into the goal on a uh, Ajax set piece. But uh, then it just started falling apart for Ajax. But still, with a couple of red cards handed out, they hold on. It just, the game had a lot going on.
0: Yeah, I mean, the, the two red cards really, to me, epitomize the game and kind of the bad luck for Ajax. Now, I say that's bad luck. However... When it comes to these red cards, I know everybody's all over VAR, and they say they don't like it, and there was complaints about the handball. Remember, a handball was the cause of the red card. The handball was also the thing that took away the winning goal for Chelsea to win 5-4, and, and, I mean, that that was such an exciting play. Too bad it doesn't count, and it's amazing because you think of college football or professional football, and when somebody makes an amazing catch and scores a touchdown but it's called back on a penalty – nobody that's immediately erased from your memory you're like what oh, oh did that happen I, I you know it's just like when there's a penalty you in in football you're just like oh whatever you know that play never existed you don't think anything about it but in soccer the memories are so long you everybody is thinking back to that goal and saying like how was that a handball and and honestly Lawrence I hate to be Mr black and white but there's really two major rules in soccer. You can't be offsides, and you can't touch the ball with your hand. And I don't understand why people are getting so bent out of shape about these calls.
1: Well, I think they're getting bent out of shape about the influence that VAR is taking on all of soccer watching enjoyment. I think that yeah, may but, be more to the point.
0: Yeah, but, I mean, your hand touches the ball. Your hand touches the ball. I mean, that's that, to me, is not a judgment call. If that's a judgment call, then we might as well be watching figure skating or gymnastics or American Idol or something with judges. They're not judges. They're referees. And just because they have a little bit more help now doesn't really change the rules. I mean, if you watch a quality defender, not to say that there weren't quality defenders yesterday, but when you watch somebody like Sergio Ramos, and I know people love to attack Sergio Ramos, but most of the time when you see somebody trying to make a cross or you see somebody trying to take a kick or make a shot or make a pass, you will see Ramos's hands behind his back. Or you will see him turn completely. Why is that? Because he knows that the refs are looking at him. He knows that he is susceptible to cards, and so he doesn't want his hand anywhere near the ball. And it amazes me that professional athletes in the world of soccer do not get that keep your hand away from the ball it's it's not it's not that hard when you know you're it's in funny in the box and it's a mess like that and and the ball's going everywhere you, you got to pay attention to your hands.
1: Yeah, you know, I'm thinking it, it, it's funny, Bo, because you think of NBA players when they keep getting ticky tack fouls from referees where they're reaching. It almost becomes a look to put your arms behind your back like, well, you can't call me for that now as if it is some sort of defiant move. But in this case, it probably is the more proper way to just manage not letting something like that happen. And when it did happen, it just changed the scope of everything. And now that Group H uh, with Ajax, Chelsea, and Valencia all tied with seven points is very interesting. Ajax with a bit of the advantage in all of this because the goal differential, they've just got so many more four goals at this point. But uh, yeah, a a draw instead of a victory outright for Ajax makes this whole thing very interesting here.
0: Well, I, I thought Valencia was going to make it through. I've always stuck with the idea that Valencia will be in the top two Um, for a while, I thought Chelsea was going to be the odd man out that may still happen, but I just don't want this idea that we're going to sleep on Valencia and it's just these two teams because as amazing as that game was, and I, I'm starting to get sold on the idea that Chelsea is the third best team in the premier league and maybe could be the second best team in the premier league by the end of the year. I'm still not looking at that game yesterday and saying, these two teams are better than everybody else. They just played a more entertaining game of soccer.
1: Well, Leicester fans and supporters may have a bit of an argument there, but uh, that will come later as we talk Premier League. But but also uh, Barcelona with the draw, that also setting us up to a look at Group F where Barcelona with eight points and Dortmund with seven points are now – ahead well ahead of Inter in third Inter and Conte with some interesting aspects here with well, okay, the directors so, maybe not helping Conte have enough of a unit to bring to all these competitions
0: well okay so both with Barcelona and with Inter I'm gonna say that it's the amount of games that they are playing and again to draw this back to American sports it's hard for people to imagine the wear and tear that these teams take. If you are playing your usual league schedule, right, and then on top of that, you know, that's 35, 40 games. On top of that, you're going to play in the Champions League or Europa. So, you know, that's going to be at least six, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 games, right, if you're good, with the pressure turned way up, right? Those are in the middle of the week. Could you imagine – we hear so many complaints, and I'm and I'm not saying they're not valid. I'm not a professional American football player by any stretch of the imagination, but when you hear teams complain about, oh, we played on Sunday, and then we got to play that Thursday night game. Okay, imagine if you had to play on Sunday, and then you played on Tuesday or Wednesday on the other side of the country, and that was your playoffs to the Super Bowl. You know, if, if you were in the NBA and your games were – 90 minutes long and not 45 minutes long. That's what we mean when we talk about depth, because you can't go to the bench in soccer. You get three substitutes. That's all you get, right? So really, it's a long game. It's how am I going to manage this month? How am I going to manage this week instead of how am I going to manage this game? And I mean, I kind of buy into what Conti's saying. I think that if Inter Milan only had to play 40 games this year or 35 games this year, they're one of the best teams in Europe no doubt they have well, okay. the talent so the but larger question games.
1: the larger larger question has to become then is it becoming too much with the tournaments in season especially like look at liverpool and the discussion this week with when it comes to the club World Cup in Qatar after the uh, Carabao Cup appearance. That's like just too quick of a turnaround. They're going to have to split up the squad or just send two different kinds of teams, one kind of being called Liverpool, I guess to Qatar or whatever but, they're going to do there. I mean, I mean are tradition. we are we getting to the point where now, you know, it's not just that if Barcelona has a draw after a loss in league that uh, everyone's up in arms about Valverde or, in this case, Klopp figuring well, out how to manage yeah. a situation like that. Are we getting to where Conte's point is we could try to do all of this, but you got to arm me with more?
0: Well, I mean, that's basically what it is, is – look, you can't change the schedule. Don't get rid of these. I mean, there's tradition. That's part of sports, you know, is tradition. So do they just need more players? Do you, to build a championship caliber team, do you need to have more players? I mean, yeah, you do. If you want to make the money that comes from these, that's the other thing you got to realize. This is a business. Like they say in Purple Rain, you're not too far gone to forget this is a business. Like, (laughs) <laughs> if you're going to be a Champions League team and you're going to go get that Champions League money, okay? Then you better spend it on having enough depth to go through. I mean, Inter made some great moves. You know, they have Diego Godín in the back who is a shutdown defender. But they need some more defenders if they're going to play a European season and a Serie A season. Um I I, I just hope that people recognize the talent that Inter has, and I hope people don't. I mean, Valverde, you can say what you want. Is he as strong of a manager as some of the other big-time managers in Europe? No, but he coaches Barcelona, and kind of like everybody else in Barcelona, they can sleepwalk through a lot of things. I mean, look, Barcelona's still going to go to the knockout round of the Champions League, all right? Barcelona's still going to be at the top of the table of La Liga. Barcelona is still the one to beat in the Copa del Rey. So until they're out of those tournaments, until they look like Madrid did last year where they're out of La Liga, they're out of the Copa del Rey, and they're barely holding on in the Champions League, let's not be selling. You know, Everybody still thinks the New England Patriots are the strongest team in the NFL or one of the strongest teams in the NFL. Even though they lost on Monday night, everybody wasn't like, well, fire Belichick, this, this, this is done. Be patient. The best player in the world is on that team. Okay. Yes, they are older, so that means they can't play seventy-five games a year at the top. You know, at at the at the at their at their best. Uh, But when they need to win, I think Barcelona is still going to win. Okay. Okay, Let's jump into La Liga, Lawrence. I'm sorry I go on these rants, but no, no, no. That's that's
1: a that is a fair thing because as you look at it objectively, as it relates to Barcelona and in into this La Liga conversation, injuries have been so much at play here and muscle injuries. When you look at Suarez with the calf and Alba with the hamstring stuff, Messi, Dembali, they've both, you know, been out for a little bit of time on this season. You know, the wear and tear may be playing out in the form of injuries for Barcelona, uh, a loss this past weekend, uh, making that race even tighter.
0: Well, yeah, but I mean, Madrid ties, you know, Madrid can't, can't close it out when they have an opportunity You know atletico they gotta score more than two goals a game uh but all this makes the league more exciting because you know sevilla is now really in the hunt and uh javier hernandez you know i every soccer fan in mexico and most of us in north america are always waiting for javier hernandez to turn it up one more notch we want the chicharito from five years ago we want the we want the dominant Mexican striker to to wow us. and uh they're setting up for it because that table is getting pretty packed and as you said last week Lawrence it's it's you know La Liga I say that the quality of the football teams make it the best league in Europe but it's also becoming one of the most competitive leagues in Europe
1: well La Liga obviously has its hands in a lot of things right now especially beach soccer uh, no. Well,
0: yeah. And, <laughs> yes. But, now, how's that going? Who won today? Who 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 the hell is even playing? Uh, what are these teams? Are uh, they like the?
1: I saw the Italian team. I mean, they're, they're they're they don't wear shoes. You know, if they 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 can't in the sand.
0: I, so, it's, so, it's a different so kind of. If thing they don't altogether. wear shoes, is does that mean that Mario Batelli would be playing without Crocs or Mario? Bolatelli would be playing without Crocs. <laughs> uh, so that
1: that's very nice. Is it Bolatelli or Mario Batali? The orange Crocs may be a feature for both of them. Uh, listen, talking about playing your way out of as if you were playing in sand right now in the Bundesliga. You've got Bayern Munich with some massive changes taking place, and now talk about—is this a landing spot for the you know salad days uh, of Arsene Wenger? Is, is is that I, at all I, in your mind possible, I, Bo? That so, you would see the longtime Arsenal manager?
0: I I just I I don't know. Um, it's it's when we have it's always funny. You have these these openings, these coaching openings, and you have the usual suspects. But the usual suspects never match the. I don't know who matches a Byron coach. I mean, Lowe does. They could bring him back from the German national team. Uh, but I don't know who matches this team, you know, I mean, uh, who already doesn't have a job. I don't see Jose Marino. Uh, Wagner, I, I I don't know, man. I, I mean, is Munich really in trouble? I guess, I mean, they're four points down to Gladback, right? So maybe they are. But, I mean, they did win a huge game the other day. I mean, they won 7-2 to two in a Champions League game. And, you know, are they inconsistent? Sure. But... Again, it's a long season. You're going to have bouts of inconsistency when you're basically playing in two leagues. That all being said, was it time for Kovac to go? Yeah, I don't think that was a I don't think that was a good match. Uh but, you know, he has the parts, he has the pieces. Uh I don't understand why Byron isn't in first place, and I don't understand why Byron isn't always giving you the dominant performance they had a couple of weeks ago in Champions League.
1: All right. Now to the discussion about the Premier League, where... You've got it's the scary. big daddy of them all on Sunday, Liverpool uh, hosting Man City. But before that, uh, this past weekend had so much going on. And then that Aston Villa game against Liverpool, I mean, Mane really pulled something out of the fire there. This weekend was to be even a more intense match at Anfield if it was really where things could get tied up if Man City beat Liverpool. But still, that six points is what separates the two.
0: I don't know who in the Premier League... Well, that's what's interesting, right? You can sit there and say, like, well, who in the Premier League can beat Liverpool? Because we're just all expecting Liverpool to basically win or draw out for the rest of the season. That's the expectation. They will only win games and maybe have one or two draws. But we saw against the Villagers that, you know, anything can happen. These guys are human. We saw it with Manchester, too. I thought Manchester City... Coming out against a team that had been crushed 9 to nothing the week before, I thought Man City was going to come out and be dominant, you know, and and they weren't. So is this kind of the – what do they call it in college football? Is this a trap? Was that a trap game? Was that a trap game for both teams? They're too busy looking ahead? I mean, no manager in their right mind is going to be like, well, you know, we're thinking about the game next week. They're always like, oh, no, our opponent this week is the most important. But, I mean, the only – team that manchester city thinks about is liverpool and the only team liverpool thinks about is man city and if you think any different you've you've drank the kool-aid of high-end professional coaches who speak in you know vague terms of the next game's the most important game these two teams know that the only thing that stands in their way is the other one
1: You know, I saw in the Liverpool-Aston Villa game something that I think we will see play out as a bit of a script. And in this case, Tyrone Mings is a very good defensive player and is big, strong, and athletic. He was a factor in knocking the Liverpool attack off of its axis a bit up until the very end and the way though that they keep pulling out these late game, late match victories uh, into the 90 plus minute range is is also very, very impressive but uh, that that one you felt like that could be a tale of the season the way that that match was won because uh, Villa put up a very strong fight and uh, this coming weekend, uh, you know, we, we keep talking about uh, Chelsea and the turnaround and what Frank Lampard's doing, uh, a legitimate challenge at home at Stamford Bridge as they take on Crystal Palace, Bo.
0: Yeah, I mean, Crystal Palace is interesting. I, I still think Crystal Palace could break into the top six, and which they do. That's like winning the premiership for Crystal Palace. I mean, they could do it, but I, I don't think they're going to do it this weekend. If they get a draw with Chelsea, I think that that should be seen as great, because Chelsea, Chelsea is in this weird mode where I think they're riding high by proving everybody that they're a legitimate, quality European team, but they're also coming off a game where I think they feel like they got robbed. I mean, they 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 should have beaten a nine-man team in the Champions League, and they tied them. And so they're going to be coming out full speed, wanting to show that they can be a dominant team, and they want to dominate Crystal Palace. And, and Crystal Palace is the kind of team who slips up and gets dominated because, you know, they 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 lose focus. And almost the opposite of what we were talking about, Barcelona and Inter and these other teams, you know, Crystal Palace kind of floats around because they're just really, you know, dealing with the Premier League. And, you know, I think sometimes they just kind of lose focus in midseason. Um, and, you know, then, of course, you have Leicester, who is the other team who is in for a real easy couple of games coming up and you know, I think that they can really break into that third spot on the table.
1: Well, timeout, you're really hurting gooners everywhere by saying that Leicester, who did beat Crystal Palace two to nothing this past weekend with the meeting as they host Arsenal at the King Power, are up for an easy match. I mean, the the question that we have to get into here is how many more weeks do you give Unai Emery? But it's I'm not going that it's an easy match quite yet. I mean, Arsenal just uh, has replaced their captaincy. They uh, have named Pierre Emerick Aubameyang the uh, the new captain. uh, Granit Xhaka has uh, relinquished that role. There there are changes they're trying to do within just the dressing room, and I mean, strange post match commentary from Emery. All of it adds up, but 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 still to this. Well, there. it's I team wouldn't call it easy.
0: No, and and when I speak about that, I talk about the fact that they're playing Brighton. After that, you know, they have Watford, they have Norwich. I mean, they have a lot of easy teams coming up before Christmas. They do have to play Arsenal, and Arsenal until they have a. I mean, they're, they're falling apart. They're a dumpster fire. That <laughs> that's been established. But they still have players, so. Yeah, a draw or a win against Arsenal is still huge for Leicester, but the way they're playing, the way Jamie Vardy's playing, you know, if you're going to play a Big Six team, that's the Big Six team you want to play. You don't want to play Chelsea. You don't want to play Manchester City. You don't want to play Liverpool. And you really don't want to play Man United because, as pitiful as Man United has been, you know, they're the kind of team that magically shows up when they need to and will beat you. I mean, it's like the Michigan Wolverines in college football. It's like you can be ready to kick Harbaugh out the door and say, you know, Michigan can't even beat, you know, Minnesota. But then magically, they come out and they beat Notre Dame. That's the same way as Manchester United. There's just enough passion and pride there that even a crappy Manchester United team is still capable of pulling out a win against anybody. I don't see the same thing for Arsenal. I see Arsenal as a dumpster fire and they have no idea who they want to play. It's kind of like the bigger your contract contracted, Arsenal, the more you're going to sit on the bench. Um, I mean, I'm glad Obama Yang has the captaincy, but uh, I don't know if I would want to be the captain of a sinking ship.
1: All that quite fair and something to certainly <laughs> keep our eye on for the next couple of weeks because Arsenal is back in the conversation in a very odd way as uh, Wenger is on his way now as we uh, are being led to believe to Munich. I
0: still don't see that, but I'm I'm, I'm we're drawing too many conclusions. Wrong. Okay. And I'm let's consistently not draw, wrong.
1: <laughs> let's not draw any more conclusions when we come back about what's happening with Liga MX and our MLS Cup preview. Uh Seattle, Toronto. Should be a very eventful and fun Marginally fun afternoon in Seattle. But but we'll, we'll we'll I've I've got some ways to make it you know something that you even may watch bo uh mls cup some of the talk as well as a pretty detailed look at liga mx when we return here on sound system fc and
0: welcome back to sound system fc let's jump into North America well I guess we don't jump into North America because we're we're both actually in North America but we're not south of the border where we should be if we wanted to watch quality soccer and I tell you what Lawrence that Santos America game um Santos is I mean they're the, they're the team they are the team going into the little league as they call the small playoff after the opening after the opening season they they look. Like, they are hitting their stride. Uh, points up over everybody. They have Toluca and Cruz Azul left. I mean, Santos is ready to take the stage, as, as, take the top of the podium.
1: Yeah, they they did have a very convincing victory over America. And, and you're right. Uh, that uh, remaining schedule is... Not really something that's that imposing as they head toward the little league competition with you know a, a nice lead now over Nacoxa and and the rest of the pack and um, America will still make its mark I do believe but I don't know did did you hear the news?
0: The news about William?
1: Yes, William, the midfielder for Toluca, as they lost (laughs) to Chivas. This is so. Oh
0: my God. I'm doing a Calexico reference. Look, we don't have a lot of listeners to begin with, but I don't know if the Calexico reference is going to fly.
1: Well, in future episodes, maybe we can make it the news about William and Chelsea. But but in this case, we've got uh, Chivas hanging on barely to the hope that, uh, what, two wins gives them uh, 25 points, and uh, they still do have the uh, Tiburones Rojos?
0: Yeah, I mean, everybody's got to lose. I mean, you're going to have to have some games maybe where both teams lose. Um, Hmm. (laughs) But... (laughs) And Liga MX, anything is possible, including uh, some kind of strange double loss. And uh, anything's possible when you are Chivas, you know? I mean, that's that's what's fun about watching. Dude, they that game was exciting against Toluca. I mean, that was the most exciting game against the, you know, two bottom table or mid to bottom table teams that you will see anywhere on television. The passion when Chivas scored their second goal and scored again, it was like... It it was it was like they were going to the finals of the Champions League in Europe. Like they had just been moved to another continent. They were so excited, and yeah. So now they just have to win two more games, and everybody else has to lose, and maybe they'll be the bottom seed in the tournament. At the okay, well, let's not go too into detail because then we'll realize that it wasn't that important. But it was exciting to see Chivas be Chivas and be exciting and and inspiring. You know, they are the you know the the beauty of Chivas. They have you know, they only play Mexican players, right? They uh, have basically, I mean, even from a business standpoint, they have their own TV, a Chivas TV. I mean, they, they want to be seen as a separate entity from everybody else. And that was the kind of game where you're like, well, this team's at least exciting enough to carry its own uh, carry its own weight. I, I, that doesn't mean they're good, but they're exciting.
1: You know, and, and I'll, I will tell you, my uh, League MX viewership is – uh, increasing in the sense that uh, it was a Sunday night football in America was uh, Patriots and Ravens and I'm watching the Kings of Lyon hosting the Monarchs. You know, I, I, I just figured that like there, there was some royalty to be had, but that even that match, which was a draw was, was a nice match. Cause you could see how the teams that aren't Santos, Nick Cox, uh, CA, you know, that, that there, there's some here in the middle that uh, will be one of the part of the top eight. And, and let's do explain to folks who are kind of getting into Liga MX that the the little league tournament after the uh, opening apertura is a top 8 affair.
0: Yeah, so maybe this is just lost in translation. Uh and again, I everybody in my family speaks fluent Spanish except for myself and I'm the person who has to talk about Mexican and Spanish soccer. But I mean, the opening tournament is what is is what it translates as, but the opening tournament is actually a league. And then the little league at the end of it is actually a tournament. So after everybody plays each other twice, you then take the top eight teams and they both, and they play two games, and then you basically aggregate the scores. So, I mean, to me, it's a great way to really determine a champion. It's a nice way to have a playoff and have a league, but the league games still matter, and the tournament games, of course, matter because that's what decides the champion. So, you know, because the, it's so close, because the point totals are so close, you don't get to mail it in to try to get into the playoffs. Like, you need to win every game you can in Liga MX, or you won't qualify because you're only two losses away from being out, you know, or maybe three losses away from being out of the top eight. And so that's, that's huge. So.
1: so now it's time for the moment that I've been waiting for, the excitement in the buildup beach to soccer sund- or no, beach soccer, no more beach soccer <laughs> to a little bit of MLS cup talk, because this now is a situation where we're seeing the same two teams for three out of the last four years in 2016, Toronto FC hosting Seattle at uh, the BMO field, BMO sit down and uh, you've got a, Draw going into overtime, and it ends up uh one by Seattle on penalty kicks. The next year, Toronto FC just wins two to nothing. The weather in Toronto in both of those games was uh, a difficulty for both of the teams. So you, you'd have to say. I mean, that was some. The first one, at least, it was like freezing and unbelievable wind chill. But now uh, a, a more temperate climate, uh be cool. We we're in the Pacific Northwest, but a Really nice opportunity for a huge fan base to come out and support a team that they have not uh, been able to support in the past couple years in these MLS Cups. And Seattle expecting a huge crowd at CenturyLink Field. And this is going to be a scene. It'll be a good match. I can't, other than saying Stefan Fry has been playing so well think that Seattle wouldn't just take it, but you know what? There are some certain reasons why Toronto has impressed and has kind of, you know, kind of as an underdog, finds its way into these cups, and they're back there, and really, in the final, anything can happen, Bo.
0: Well, okay, so it's Alabama-Clemson. If Alabama and Clemson were mediocre teams, but still always end up in the championship, I mean, okay, so now I'm going to go to the vague coaches speak that I always hate uh, or the vague sports pundit speech that I always make fun of but honestly if this doesn't prove that you have to have a certain mindset to be in the playoffs I don't know what does and I think Toronto has that mindset they understand even with the constantly evolving MLS system they understand how to win these playoff games and they understand how important these games are how to be ready for them I mean they're playing without their marquee player and they have been and they're winning and they're finding ways to win. And I think it's because of this history of the past four years, they know how to win playoff games. They know how to approach them and prepare for them. And all these other teams run way too hot. That's you LAFC. They run way too hot. And then when it gets down to the games that you really need to win, they're not there. They're not ready they don't realize that there is no tomorrow. I mean, I know that they're bright enough to realize that if you lose this game you don't play anymore, but I think it goes beyond the mental. I think it's 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 almost like a, a a preparation that like you you can't think yourself out of. Like, you know, Lawrence, you've been around especially in the NBA. You've been around champion championship teams and and what is that? What is that difference on a playoff approach that that differs from the regular season?
1: Well, everything's way more focused on the opponent in a way that does not happen in the regular season. But but I will say the difference being that these are just one games, and when they had done the aggregate thing, you know, then you can feel there was like a tiny little series going on. But now that these playoff games have just been like a single game, and they're kind of compact, and the lead up hasn't been that long to this MLS Cup from those conference semifinals, uh, it's not helping situations like you brought up with Jose Altidore being the marquee player for Toronto FC. Uh, Being questionable, I guess. I mean, the latest is that that quad injury, which has kept him from this entire playoffs, he was uh, last in action in the uh, regular season finale, I believe, for Toronto FC, like that he may not be participating, but uh, they've not hurt by having Pozuelo step up so much and, uh, 14 goals this season for Alejandro Pozuelo. But, you know, when it's all said and done, I-, I believe that Schmetzer's approach to defense in the same way they did it with LAFC in that matchup at the Bank of California Stadium will win out. And, uh, it should be a game where they, get the goaltending you expect from Stefan Fry, a De La Salle uh, alum, and that's a Bay Area reference for the uh Bay Area guy who played at Cal and uh, has made his name not just with Toronto FC, but now more recently with the Sounders. And I, I just think goalkeeping and, and maybe the attack of uh, Rui Diaz, who has really been turning it on and, and looking quite good, also a 14-goal scorer in the season. I, I just have a feeling that this is Seattle's to take and celebrate with a really great fan base at Century Link Field.
0: Okay, well, here's my analysis that basically you could cut and paste and put it before any championship game for any sport. But to me, it comes down to defense. And what it really, what I mean about that is is, who is going to make the fewest defensive mistakes? If you look at the playoff games in the MLS this season, especially this season, that's what you see. It's not the marquee players or the strikers outplaying or outperforming. It's not the goaltenders shutting down a team by themselves. It's defensive mistakes. Defensive mistakes is what loses games. RSL played well against Seattle, but they made defensive mistakes. New York FC looked like a youth wreck indoor. I don't know how many attributes I could put to it, but they just looked – I'm not going to use that word, but they, they looked terrible on defense in their loss. Because, you know, they couldn't clear the ball. They couldn't do simple things. You know, the first thing you're taught on defense is no shot, no shot. Don't give anybody a shot. I mean, the defenses are notoriously poor in the MLS. And so, to me, it's which defense just doesn't make a huge error. I guarantee you there will be a goal scored off of a poor pass out of the back or the mishandling of the ball by somebody in the back line by one of these teams and that's going to be the difference because these teams don't think defense first they don't concentrate defense first i'm sure that if diego simeon had to sit around and watch one of these games he would kill himself
1: well, let, let's hope he doesn't on, on Sunday. Note. <laughs> like, yes. But but let's say we are looking forward to another exciting MLS Cup. Oh, and yeah, it'll it's be it's exciting. all growing. The, it, you know, there's a lot of lead up to it. You're seeing it on Univision more than you are ABC, to be honest with you. Yeah, that's what's but,
0: funny. Is, yeah, yeah Univision, I mean, look, the viewers who know good soccer are still excited about the MLS Cup. They're still excited about the championship. And... It's still exciting, it's still exciting soccer. And that's what's kind of exciting about MLS soccer is is that it's not so clinical and so technical that you can look at it and say like, "Well, this is definitely the better team." Or this player is definitely dominating the pitch. You don't really have that. You know, it's it's fun to watch because it's so scattershot. And there is talent there, and you will see it. You will see some really talented players on the game.
1: Well, I'll tell you what, after the MLS Cup is played, we will go into detail about what we saw, what we enjoyed, what the season means, where it's all going, because there's a bit of a CBA issue with the players and uh, a want for more charter flights, a want for yeah, now you, a the, more organized you get league. Charter league.
0: Flights. What's do this? you get charter flights to the championship game?
1: I was told this, that MLS teams are offered two charter flights a season by the league. So if Toronto has not used its charter flight, the league helps <laughs> so provide that that would be the flight from Toronto to Seattle.
0: But, I mean, uh, for the championship game, there's not like an exclusion. There's not like an – it's not like you get an extra substitution if you I, go into overtime. You don't I, get an extra I charter d- flight. I
1: don't know. I don't know for a fact. Sorry, but, sorry but to
0: I, put you on the spot there, Lawrence. I just –
1: But I will say Air Canada does fly to Vancouver, and it's an easy trip then from Vancouver to Seattle if there's not the charter flight.
0: That's like a four-hour drive. (laughs) An an easy flight,
1: an easy flight. And, hey, they may use Boeing Field. They may not send them out to SeaTac. I think this is what everybody's tuning in for this, this level of logistics conversation about the MLS Cup. Anyway. Oh,
0: yeah. I think let's say they could fly a legion into Bellingham. I believe, uh, you know, if they wanted – or is it Everett or Emer- – It's what is Everett. This, it's
1: this? up in Everett, the new the, – It's Everett. Yeah, there the you go. Air well, I mean,
0: look, it may – I mean, when we talk, when we get to really tear into the MLS and, and see what works, because there is a lot that works and maybe what doesn't work – The sad part is, is when it comes down to these things like logistics, I think that plays a bigger part in what is keeping the league from taking that next step more than, oh, they just need some more of these kind of players or, oh, they need to make some slight rule changes or schedule change. It's a logistics operations situation that needs to be confronted in MLS for them to truly be a top tier league.
1: All right. And only because you made a purple rain reference earlier in the program will we end this program as we take a personal look ahead to the week. Uh, I've been traveling a little bit and I'll be in Minneapolis. And speaking of purple rain, I've always wanted to go to First Avenue and I'm getting the chance and it should be kind of cool. There's a, a double bill at First Avenue in Minneapolis um, in the days ahead. Low Cut Connie, who is you know, kind of come on in recent years, sort of like a you know, uh, piano rock band where like, you know, not just President Obama, but Elton John and uh, Bruce Springsteen said, I like this guy Um, and, and his band, along with Big Frida, the queen of New Orleans bounce all at First Avenue. This to me is exciting. And, you know, it's too bad I wasn't there at the time, we'd had a lead up for if Minnesota United was involved and make a little trek out to Allianz Field, but that that didn't work. Uh, Zlatan did his thing, then Zlatan got Zlatan, and then LAFC got uh, <laughs> you know fried. Just, just remember, and,
0: just remember, Allianz Field couldn't even get the yardage markers out from the Tommy Johnny football from the football game from the Division Eight. NIA, JC, whatever football game off of the field. So I, I think you're going to be better served going to First Avenue. And uh, We're going. I, We're going. Yeah. I mean, I was going to say, oh, I'm really jealous you get to go to First Avenue, but you're going in November to Minneapolis. So oh, I'll, it'll be I'll delightful. hold out until I – It will be delightful. I expect a full report. But But I'll I'll get
1: home in time to watch MLS Cup and the full weekend of uh, excitement and look forward to catching up with you, my friend, next week.
0: And that'll, that'll do it for us. Lawrence, thank you as always. That was Lawrence Scott. I'm Beau Barley. And this was Sound System FC.